how it lights my path, how it guides my way. It's Luke chapter 3. We're starting the Gospel of Luke for this next season. And we're going straight to, uh, to chapter 3 as, as the starting point. Then over to Victoria. Luke chapter 3, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Say, it, it was the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius Caesar. These men were under, under Caesar. Pontius Pilate was the ruler of Judea. Herod was the ruler of Galilee. Philip, Herod's brother, was the ruler of Italy. Eturia and Traconitus and Lysanias was the ruler of Ebelin. Annas and Cephas were the high priests at this time. A command from God came to John, son of Zechariah. John was living in the desert. He went all over the area around Jordan River and preached to the people. He preached a baptism of change hearts and lives for forgiveness, for forgiveness of their sins, as it is written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet. This is a voice of a man who calls out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make the road straight for him. Every valley should be filled in. Every mountain and hill should be made flat. Roads would turn, turn sorry, Roads with turns should be made straight, and rough roads should be made smooth, and all people will know about the salvation of God. That's Isaiah 40, um, 3 to 5. I'm now reading verse 7. Crowds of people came to be baptized by John. He said to them, you poisonous snakes, who warn you to run away from God's anger that is coming? You must do the things that will show that you really have changed your hearts. Don't say Abraham is our father. I tell you that God can make children from Abraham, from these rocks here. The axe is now ready to cut down the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Ten. The people asked John, what should we do? John answered, if you have two shirts, share, the, the pers- share with the person who does not have one. If you have food, share that too. Even tax collectors came to John to be baptized. They said to John, teacher, what should we do? John said to them, don't take more taxes from people that, than you have been ordered to take. The soldiers asked John, what about us? What should we do? John said to them, Don't force people to give you money. Don't lie about them. Be satisfied with the pay you get. All the people were hoping for the the Christ to come, and they wondered about John. They thought, maybe he is the Christ. 16, John answered everyone, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming later who can do more than I can. I am not going and... I'm not good enough to untie his sanders. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will come ready to clean 
the grain. He will separate the good grain from the chaff. He will put the good part of the grain into his barn. Then he will burn the chaff with a fire that cannot be put out. And John continued to preach the good news, saying many other things to encourage the people. But John spoke against Herod, the governor, because of his sin with Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother. John also criticized Herod for the many other evil things Herod did. So Herod did, did another evil thing. He put John in prison. 21. When all the people were being baptized by John, Jesus also was baptized. While Jesus was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him. The Spirit was in the form of a dove. Then a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son and I love you. I'm very pleased with you. Thank you so much for reading that passage to us, Victoria. And I know it's a long passage and you're all sitting there thinking, it's so hot. If she is going to go on and do every single verse of this passage in great detail, I'm going to melt before we get to leave. Is that what you're thinking? No. Oh, thanks for whoever said that. Claudette. Thanks, Claudette. Claudette's with me. But don't worry. Um, I want us to think about this passage this morning. It's always exciting, isn't it, when we begin a new series, when we seek to get hold of a new book together. Because here in Ichthus, we really, we take God's word seriously. We want to not only read it and understand it, but we want to know its power and its transforming work in our lives. We want to go out and live it in the week to come. And so that is our challenge for these passages as we come to the book of Luke together now. And some of you might be thinking, I wonder why we didn't start with Luke chapter 1 verse 1. And uh, we're going to dive in at this passage in chapter 3. Actually, lots of commentators who write about Luke see this as the kind of official beginning of the gospel, if you like, because chapters 1 and 2, lots of you will be familiar and will know, are the birth narratives the birth of Jesus, the story coming from Mary's perspective, um, and also the birth narrative about John the Baptist himself. And almost they're kind of like they stand alone together. And we're going to look at those at Christmas time, you know, kind of just to get in the flow of the church calendar. I know it's a bit meaningless, um, but it is in still. That's when we remember Jesus' birth together. So we'll look at those passages back then. And we'll start at the kind of secondary beginning um, of Luke's gospel here in chapter 3, which is introducing us to Jesus through the ministry of John the Baptist. And I don't know if as we were reading the passage together just now, if you kind of sensed, I felt that Victoria brought it out actually, if you sensed the idea of a build-up. You know, we kind of started somewhere and, you know, there's a few historical names and some important people and then we kind of move on and then we get to John coming and that's kind of exciting and he's preaching his, his baptism of repentance but then suddenly at the end there's this great climax where John is pointing consciously and clearly to Jesus, isn't he? He says, stop looking at my ministry now. 
I'm baptizing people for repentance, but it's all about what is coming next. It is all about Jesus Christ. It is all about the fact that I can only baptize you in a bit of water, but he is coming to baptize you, dunk you, immerse you. Baptize is such a kind of um, Bible-ish kind of Christianese sort of word, isn't it? We don't use it in normal English language, but in Greek, it is a normal, ordinary word, like when you take your biscuit and you dump it, dunk it into your cup of tea. That is the word for baptism. And John is saying, I can do that for you in water, but one is coming who can dunk you and immerse you and saturate you and cover you and complete you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just some nice energy or force out there. The Holy Spirit is God himself. The Holy Spirit is God himself. What a dramatic climax that John is saying, Jesus is coming so that every individual, all you ordinary people, you ordinary, sinful, wretched, selfish people, says John, broods of vipers kind of thing, You guys, even you, can be baptized and flooded with the goodness of God. That is the enormous message. And then, if you thought that was the climax, even further we're going to go. And John shows us, um, Luke shows us as he writes his gospel, Jesus' baptism. And in that moment, we see with our physical eyes, or those who were there at the time, they did. They saw the Holy Spirit coming down, they saw the truth of what John was saying with their own eyes and experience. This dove that rested on Jesus coming down from heaven, a voice that they heard ringing out from the heavenly places, speaking over Jesus. He is someone special. John is a great prophet, but Jesus is my son. Wow. This passage builds somewhere incredible. And this morning, I just want us to take hold of what John the Baptist and his ministry were seeking to get ready for Jesus. Because everything that John was about was preparing the way so that nobody in those days would miss all that beautiful message that Jesus was bringing. Did you know that it is possible to miss what God is doing? Did you know that? It is possible. The Bible shows us and actually gives us a lot of different spiritual warnings, which we might think about in a moment. It is possible to miss even the most dramatic works of God in this world. Not because God is not making himself obvious enough, as some accuse him of, but because of our hearts, our state of mind, the way that we work, the things that we are caught up with as human beings. It's possible to miss what God is wanting to do. And John's whole ministry was seeking to make sure that no one would miss the beauty of the promises of Jesus that come in the climax of that chapter. And that's our heart this morning. We don't want to miss what the Lord is doing in our lives, in our world, in our church, in our community, in our time, in our nation, in this generation. We don't want to miss it. 
So we want to get ready too. And we'll use John's encouragement perhaps to do that. The first thing I want us to notice is that list of names that poor Victoria had to read. <laughs> but you were all thinking, I'm so glad Martin didn't land on me to read the passage today. Because there's a lot of names, aren't there, and places. So we've got Tiberius Caesar, okay? He's the big shot of the Roman world, isn't he? Pontius Pilate, who's the governor of Judea. Herod, who is, the, who is the leader of the Jewish peoples, because the Jewish community had their own kind of little subsection in the Roman-occupied area. And Herod was an important figure in that. He was the Tetrarch of Galilee. Um, he, his brother Philip was the Tetrarch of a region down the road. Um, we have Licinius mentioned, another Tetrarch or ruler or leader. Important dignitaries. Then we come to the, the priesthood. We come to Annas and Caiaphas, who are working as religious leaders in the Jewish community. They are the big wigs of the religious day there. And then in the midst of all of those names and all of that pomp and all of that ceremony and all of the titles and all of the importance, you get suddenly, and John, the word of God came to John. Oh yeah, Zacharias' son. In the wilderness. It's a massive contrast and it is deliberate. Those guys we've just read about, they hang out in palaces a bit like this. All those important names, that's a famous painting um, of the feast um, of Herod <clears throat> and the death of John the Baptist that happens in that, which we'll come to in the following readings in the coming weeks. But this famous painting is kind of setting the scene, isn't it, for all the important people in their fine clothing. And um, I think I'm right, because I don't know anything about art, but Urella will tell me afterwards. But I think there's all kinds of important people of the artist's day who've been painted in there, you know, commanders and leaders and world leaders and so on. He used their faces to kind of bring this point home. There were loads of important people, but the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. There was everything that was going on in the city, everything that was going on in the palaces, everything that was going on in the important places, in the place where it all happens, you know, the hub of civic life, the hub of religious life, in the temple, at Jerusalem. There were all those people there. But the Lord started this enormous, mighty work, the greatest work of God in the history of humankind to date, the birth of Jesus is coming, the ministry of Jesus is coming, the work of Jesus as he goes to the cross to die for the sins of the whole world and be raised up from the dead by the power of God. This mighty work of God begins with a word to John in the wilderness. It's possible to miss that, isn't it? It's possible to be looking in the wrong places for the mighty things we want God to do. It's possible to look all the time to where we think the movers and shakers are happening, to the big world stage, the big world scenes, the people with the titles, the people with the influence, the people with the power in the world's terms. And do you know what? The Bible is full from beginning to end of stories of how God deliberately chooses not to work in those places, but to pick the unknowns 
and to pick those who other people would pass over and say, this person is worth nothing. This person is not important. This person grew up in the desert. This person can't wear trendy clothes. He has to dress himself up in camel's hair. This person doesn't know how to do fine dining in fancy restaurants. He's going to eat locusts and honey in the wilderness. He's the sort of person we're actually quite embarrassed about and we would not like to have at a dinner party because he would certainly show us up with his rough speaking and his stinky clothes and the fact that he's got sand all over his feet because that's where he lives. You understand the sort of person that we want to sideline in our kind of worldly way of looking at things. And God says, no, he's exactly the person that I've chosen to come and begin this beautiful ministry through. And I want us to know and to believe and to get hold in our hearts this morning as a congregation that God works in the unexpected and the unimpressive looking places. And we mustn't miss it. We mustn't miss what he's doing in our lives. Maybe some of you sit there this morning and you think, what could the Lord possibly do that is great or effective or significant or meaningful with me? But let me tell you, you are exactly the place and the person where the Lord loves to begin mighty works. Yeah, your life's a mess. Yeah, there's all kinds of brokenness. Yeah, there's all sorts of mistakes. Yes, you're still trying to put things together. Yes, you're still trying to hold life together. Whatever it is that you think disqualifies you, the Lord can do mighty works in those places. Don't miss it. Don't be looking at the banquet when the Lord is working in the desert. John's ministry was all about throwing into great relief, strong relief, strong contrast, the mighty work of God in Jesus. Everything that he was about was to create and prepare and make ready a people who could see and receive the impact of what Jesus was bringing. I wonder if we're willing to be part of a ministry like that, like John's. The kind of the background ministry, if you like. Tom and Zoe have got this um, magazine at home and it's got all these kind of optical illusion pages in it. And recently, this was the one that got me the most, if you like this sort of thing, I quite like this sort of thing, but was there was a picture, there were two giraffe necks and there were orange spots on both giraffe necks, but one of them had like a green background to it and the other one had like a sort of reddish background, I think. And when you looked at them both, the two shades of orange spots looked completely different. But the magazine was saying to you, I promise you (laughs) that it's just the background that makes them look so different. They are the exact same shade. And you can't believe your eyes, but it's because the background, the stuff behind it, has such an impact on how you receive the colour of the orange spots. Yeah, some of you know because you've seen the same sorts of things as I have, and others of you are thinking, why is she talking about giraffes? (laughs) But this is what I want to say about John's ministry. It was all entirely a background colour to make the work and the ministry of Jesus jump out and land out and grab people by the throat and hit people in the face and make sure that they knew there is something important and wonderful here for you to step into. Look at this. 
John the Baptist's ministry was saying, look at this, get ready for what Jesus is going to bring. I wonder if we're willing sometimes not to be the main players in what God is doing, the thing that everyone's eye is drawn to. Are we willing to play the parts that sometimes blend into the background and make up the background color that causes everything else to leap out all the stronger? Just a thought, just a question. Again, I think in our world today, we don't value the background stuff very much. But God's all about it. That's why he set John the Baptist apart from his very birth to do this work, to make the way ready for Jesus to come. So why did John need to come before Jesus? Because you might think that Jesus and his mighty works could make enough of an impact on their own, don't you think? But firstly, it was was to make Jesus' ministry sing and stand out because part of the recognition of Jesus was going to be, for the Jewish people anyway, that they understood how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that had been given about him over centuries before and that they had been hanging on to and waiting for. The faithful Jews had been waiting for this Messiah to come who had been promised through their prophets. And that's why the important um, quoting of Isaiah the prophet comes at the beginning of this story, centered around John the Baptist and his work, one who is going to go before the Lord to make ready the way for him, to make the path straight, to get the background color just right, so that when Jesus comes, we won't miss him, we will see him, we will recognize him, we will know who he is, particularly for the Israelite community. And the whole of the Old Testament scriptures that those Jews loved and read and learnt from when they were little children in the synagogues, Malachi chapters 3 and 4, have some very clear prophecies about a messenger who is going to come, a figure who looks like Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament wearing his camel hair clothes, living in the wilderness, a kind of wild sort of character, just like John was embodying too. An Elijah-type prophet who was going to come before a great and mighty work of the Lord, the coming of his Messiah. And so John the Baptist, in fulfilling that role, in becoming like a messenger, like a herald, like someone who was shouting out and preparing the way for a king to journey into the world, he is fulfilling all those Old Testament prophecies. He is helping those Jewish people not to miss that Jesus is who he says he is, that they can recognize him and see, yes, the scriptures are being fulfilled. And of course, Jesus himself was going to fulfill many, many of the prophecies about him. But also, John needed to come before Jesus because his message was a message of repentance. And repentance clears the ground, clears away the clutter of our lives, and it helps us not to miss what God is doing because we are too preoccupied with the clutter in our lives. That is the work of repentance in the human life. Because repentance means, doesn't it, turning. It means in the Greek, a rethink, 
a totally new way of thinking about things and thinking about life. Um, a turning away, the English word means, of what we have been before and turning into something fresh and new. That is repentance. And it helps us to see, doesn't it, that sometimes we might be so caught up with this stuff here that unless we decide to turn and look, we might miss something that's going on, even just over our shoulder, even just there. And repentance is the work of clearing this stuff away and turning around to see what is God about to do. And that's what John the Baptist was doing with the people. Of course, what Jesus was doing when Jesus came with his ministry, of course that could grab attention. And of course he could make people turn, and he did throughout his ministry. But John is showing us here that there is a spiritual principle, a spiritual warning even, to heed that if we don't repent and turn away from the stuff in our lives that we know is not good, that we know does not please our Father in heaven, then it is possible for us to miss the Lord when he is moving. Not because he's hiding himself, but because that is the nature of sin. It is all-consuming. It draws us in. It narrows our focus right down and eventually turns us so that we're always looking at what it is like in here. There's a beautiful song by Keith Green um, called No Compromise, and there's a line in it that always speaks to me when I hear it. He says, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And it's physically true, isn't it? If we're always going to be looking inward, navel-gazing, they call it, if we're always going to be caught up with what's going on in here, how I'm feeling, what doesn't feel right, what makes sense to me, how things... These are important questions, but we can get locked into this position. And sooner or later, the Lord says, you just need to push that aside, repent, turn away from it and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to hear what you think is important now. I'm willing to hear how you want to change my heart and make me feel. I'm willing to allow you to guide my life and show me the way and what will be good for me. I'm willing for that. But it takes that turning, doesn't it? It takes a moment of repentance because otherwise we can be so drawn in. We miss. We miss even when the Lord is standing just over our shoulder and saying to us, my child, I love you. I love you. I am not judging and condemning you. I care for you. Please turn. Please turn. Please turn. Please receive what I'm here waiting to give to you. Please turn your face towards me because I've got something that is going to lead you on in your life into a place that will fulfill the destiny that God wrote over you when he put you together in your mother's womb. That's what that work of repentance starts to help us to do. And the sort of things that John was challenging the people of his day to repent from and turn away from were these sorts of things. We heard it read, didn't we? But I put it into my kind of interpretation of what those things mean. In verse 11, he was saying, you know, if you've got two shirts then give one away. If you've got enough food to spare, then share that with others. 
John was talking, speaking in to the, a lack of compassion that we can have, where we don't care about somebody else's situation. We just harden our hearts to it. We don't care about their plight. We just want to make sure I'm okay first. He was speaking into that, saying, let compassion, let generosity start to flow. Don't be self-centered, only thinking about meeting your own needs. And then he spoke to the tax collectors of his day, and he challenged them over honesty and integrity and being a people like that. He was saying, we can change the way we do things. We can be people who are not just trying to get away with things, and if we don't get caught up on it, then it must mean it's okay and God thinks it's fine. We don't want to be people living all the time at the boundaries and the edges of what we know is good and true and sensible and that comes from God's heart. We want to live clean and clear in the middle of that space. We want to be honest and full of integrity in our work lives, in our lives around finances, in the way that we get things done. We don't want to try and you know, fiddle the system or whatever just to make it to my advantage. We don't want to be those people because sometimes that just is catching us again into this very self-centered lifestyle, which is all about, I need to make it happen for me. We look to God and we say, Lord, I live in the light and you are the one who's going to have to make this happen for me or not. (laughs) I live in the light. I live looking to you. It's a different way of living. And then he talks to the soldiers who are coming to listen to him, which is amazing, isn't it? The Romans, the pagans came to listen to John's ministry, not just the Jewish people who might have understood who he was and the kind of language he was speaking, but all kinds of people came to listen to John's ministry. And he challenged them. He said, you must not live in this aggressive and forceful way, always just using your power to get your will done. Don't do it. Live differently. Don't accuse other people for your own ends, to make yourself and your own situation better, pushing blame out onto other people to cover up perhaps for our mistakes. Don't abuse the power that you have in this world. Don't be greedy looking all the time for selfish gain. And all of those things that John was challenging the people of his day over, they kind of come back, don't they, to being self-centeredness and selfishness eyes that are on me because these are the sorts of things that cause us to miss what the Lord is wanting to do with us but on its own these amazing challenges from John are not enough they're really good things and actually they're the sorts of things that people in the world will probably agree with They'll be like, yeah, that sounds good. It's good to be an honest person of integrity. Yeah, that sounds good to share and to care for others and to give to their need. That sounds good not to be aggressive and forceful, but to be gentle and to be giving and selfless. We like those ideas in the world. And they are good ideas. Don't get me wrong and don't let me rob them of the value that they have. But what I want us to understand and where we want to finish this morning as we come to that climax is that on their own, this stuff was not enough. Just responding to John's ministry and getting the repentance going and turning around and looking out for Jesus. Brilliant. It's going to get you ready. Maybe you won't miss him when he comes, but it is not the end of the journey. We are not called to just live a good life or be good people or be 
good citizens even, as wonderful as those things are. That is the religious message that the world will preach to us, that that's enough. If I'm just a good person, I do nice things for others, and I live in a generally approvable way, well, surely that's enough. And it's not that God despises that. It's not that God is brushing that aside. It's that he has got something much, much bigger. And he's saying, do that stuff so you can actually step in to the message of Jesus. Don't hang about in the repentance of John, as good as that is. Now come with me and step in. John's ministry was never going to get them there because the message and the life that we are called to is summed up in what John said in verse 16. He said, as for me, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John was saying, Jesus is greater than me. I'm a prophet, says John the Baptist, and a pretty mighty one. In fact, Jesus later on said about him, of all the prophets that went before me, there was none greater than John the Baptist. He was the tip top. He had the message that was important to listen to. But even so, says John, there is one coming who is bigger and greater and mightier and has a whole different order of life for you to step into. He is the very son of God. He is the very son of God from all eternity walking amongst us in human flesh. Therefore, it makes sense to really listen to what he's got to say. Because in comparison, my message just pales away. Look and listen to Jesus. He is the very Son of God. And then he said, and my baptism is good. It's in water. It gets you clean, it clears the decks, it helps you repent. But then you need to step in further to what Jesus brings, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the very life of God now pumping through your veins, moving through your inner being, flowing forth from your belly into the lives of others. Like Jesus says, from your innermost being, rivers of living water, rivers of the Spirit to flood out and change and transform and bless a broken world. This is a much bigger message. Don't miss it. Step in. And I just want to finish by summing that message up with these two ideas. The Holy Spirit and sonship. The Holy Spirit and sonship. That is what God has in his heart for his people. That's what he's got in his heart for you. And that's what he doesn't want you to miss or miss out on by looking in the wrong places or keeping your eyes on yourself. He wants you to know the fullness of the spirit. And he wants you to know that you truly are a son a daughter of the living God. You know, a life that is lived in the power of the Holy Spirit 
it looks like that moment at Jesus' baptism where the dove comes down and rests on him. It is that dove of the Spirit in our lives who brings rest, inner rest from all our turmoil, peace, guidance when we just don't know the right way to go, power when we think that we are up against an obstacle that could never be shifted, anointing, healing, passion and motivation, zest for life, endurance that keeps you going even when all the odds are against you. These are the works of a spirit-filled life. And you know what? It shows. People can see that in us. You know, I spent much of my university years in a context where the church traditions around me were those that did not teach about the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives and his filling today. But do you know what? I have many friends in those circles and they would say things to me about my life. They would make observations and every time they did, I used to just inside, I just knew the spirit would kind of turn over inside me and I'd be like, Lord, they see that because they have not fully themselves entered in to this life of the spirit that you offer and that is sad because actually it was causing them sorrow sometimes. I remember one friend who said to me, she's like, the way you operate, Debbie, there is a warmth that comes from you. And she said, when I am in my church, I like those people, but there's no connection of warmth, she started to describe. She used words like, it's like a current that comes from you. She said, you're like the queen of the small touch. You know, the little moment where you make eye contact and smile and you, you love someone. The little touch of a hand, the, I don't know, the present you gave someone because you were thinking about them, the text that you sent, the little things. And she was like, it's absent in my circles. She was a faithful Christian that she saw. And it's not because I'm a good person, because I'm going to tell you another one which shows you that I wasn't. <laughs> But it, I'm trying to say she saw it. I'm trying to say it's visible. It matters. You can see when the Spirit is on a life. You know something, a quality is different. We're all different personalities, but his life flows through in a different way. Somebody else said to me, you know, Debbie, you get stuff wrong as much as the rest of us do. You know, I wasn't a perfect Christian. And he was like, but the difference is somehow you understand how to get hold of the grace of God and keep moving. He said, for me, I'm always, in my Christian life, I'm either full of pride about what a wonderfully righteous Christian I am, or the next moment when I do something stupid and I fall, I'm beating myself up for the rest of my life. I can never be used anymore. I can't even go to church. I'm so terrible. He's like, I lurch between those places. And he's like, I see that you don't. <laughs> I see that you get hold of the grace of God for your failings. And you move on into what he's asking you to do next, tomorrow the next day. And people see it. I'm only sharing those stories. They're personal, but because that is what people see when they can see the work of the Spirit in a life. This is what we are called into, the life of the Spirit and much greater and bigger things that we could say. Last word. 
We're called to know that we're sons and daughters. And when we know that we are a son or a daughter of the living God, when we know that here in our lives, like Jesus did at his baptism, the the spirit came down. He knew he was anointed with the spirit. But the voice came speaking over him. And in Luke's gospel, we hear, you are my beloved son. In you, Jesus, I am well pleased. A personal word from the father. Matthew records the other half of the message. He says, this is my beloved son for the benefit of the crowd. In him, I am well pleased. And God was saying that too. But Luke shows us the father was speaking to Jesus personally because he needed to hear and he needed to know he was the son of the living God. And you and I, when we step into the work that Jesus is inviting us into, we step into that sonship, that daughtership, that understanding, that knowledge of who we are in this world, not just random specks of dust wandering around with no purpose. We are created deliberately, thoughtfully by God who loves us and who wants us to grow and fulfill the potential that he placed in us when he first put us together. Just like the parents in this room, when you look at your new baby or your child and you know there's so much potential in there, what a big job, somehow I've got to usher it out. Our Heavenly Father looks at every one of us that way. So much potential I've got in you. I'm going to help you grow it out, live it out. If you will believe me and walk in your sonship, walk in your daughtership, if you like, and receive the love of the Father over each and every one of us. So I just want to pray for us that we will be people who don't miss that message because it's possible to live on John's side of it, isn't it? In that bit where we repent and we turn and we keep doing that. But Jesus says, come now and enter in. So I'm going to pray. Lord, first of all, I want to pray for all of us here who feel challenged that maybe there are some areas of repentance that we need to just do, some ground to clear, so that we can be ready to receive from you in a new way, in a deeper way. And so, Lord, I just pray that you help us. Lord, just put your finger on those things that have caught our attention up so much that we could even miss what you're doing and saying with us. Help us, Lord, just to clear the ground and turn fresh towards you, expectant about how you want to lead us on now. Lord, I want to pray for those of us in this room and we know that we have not really entered fully into that life of the Spirit. Or perhaps we do know how it goes, but we haven't been living in it of recent years or recent times. We've been doing our own thing. Lord, Lord, I want to pray that that great wave of your presence, that great wave of your spirit will move across us again. Lord, saturate us afresh. Save us from dead work. Save us just from the efforts of the flesh. We really 
want to move in the flow, carried on the current, carried on the life of the river of God flowing into and through us. We want to release those streams into this world because they're thirsty, thirsty people out there. We want to be people of the Spirit. Help us now to enter in. Lord, we can always come and ask you and you always fill. So fill us afresh, we pray. And Lord, for those who do not really know that they are a son or a daughter who've not heard your words speaking over them, you are loved, (laughs) you are mine, you belong. Lord Jesus, would you help us to open our ears, open our hearts now in this moment and receive it. And let us rise up in all the confidence and faith that being a son or a daughter of yours brings. And may we fulfill the potential you have written over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let your living word abide in me so richly as I abide in you. Let your living